Welcome everybody to Socratica Reads. My name is Kimberly Hatch Harrison, and I'm the co-founder of Socratica. We make beautiful, futuristic educational videos. You might wonder where we get our vision of the future. Why do we look forward to a better future? A lot of it comes from growing up on a steady diet of Ray Bradbury, who was a real visionary. Today is his birthday. He would have been 102 today, and I wish he were here so we could talk to him. I'd like to think he'd have some thoughtful and ultimately hopeful reaction to the strange times we're living in. Thankfully, we have Bradbury's stories, and as long as we're reading him, he will live forever. None of us knows what the future brings, but the wonderful thing about reading science fiction is that we can try on different possible futures. We learn a lot about ourselves by observing how we react to the possibilities. And then we can use our reactions to guide how we go about preparing for the future. It's a little like magic. You read about a possible future, you decide how you feel about it, and change course if necessary. In this way, writing about the imagined future becomes a way to change the actual future. A lot of sci-fi is dark, dystopian, and Bradbury certainly didn't shy away from that darkness. I've spoken before about his Fahrenheit 451 as a cautionary tale, but even in the midst of great sadness, Bradbury always was there to show us the way through with that flicker of hope and humanity. Today, I want to share with you another one of my favorites from Ray Bradbury, a short story called I Sing the Body Electric. You may recognize the title from a Walt Whitman poem, which is a rich and meaty thing to read. Please read it. The poem is all about the mystery and glory and holiness of being incarnate, of having a body, of, uh, of being a body, which is great fun to keep in mind as you read Bradbury's story about a robot grandmother. Like the best science fiction, by imagining a possible future touched by technology, certain truths about the human condition are made more clear to us. Here's my favorite part of I Sing the Body Electric, a family dinner. I'll read it to you now. Are you ready? Let's begin. Grandma finished serving everyone and then sat at the other side of the table facing father and pretended to eat. I never found out. I never asked. I never wanted to know what she did with the food. She was a sorcerer. It simply vanished. And in the vanishing, father made a comment. This food, I've had it before, in a small French restaurant, over near Le Dubmagot in Paris, twenty, twenty-five years ago. His eyes brimmed with tears suddenly. How do you do it? he asked at last, putting down the cutlery and looking across the table at this remarkable creature, this device, this, what, woman? Grandma took his regard and ours and held them simply in her now empty hands, as gifts, and just as gently replied, 
I am given things which I then give to you. I don't know that I give, but the giving goes on. You ask, what I am? Why, a machine. But even in that answer, we know, don't we, more than a machine. I am all the people who thought of me, and planned me, and built me, and set me running. So I am people. I am all the things they wanted to be, and perhaps could not be, so they built a great child, a wondrous toy, to represent those things. Strange, said father. When I was growing up, there was a huge outcry at machines. Machines were bad, evil. They might dehumanize. Some machines do. It's all in the way they are built. It's all in the way they are used. A bear trap is a simple machine that catches and holds and tears. A rifle is a machine that wounds and kills. Well, I am no bear trap. I am no rifle. I am a grandmother machine, which means more than a machine. How can you be more than what you seem? No man is as big as his own idea. It follows, then, that any machine that embodies an idea is larger than the man that made it. And what's so wrong with that? I got lost back there about a mile, said Timothy. Come again? Oh, dear, said Grandma. How I do hate philosophical discussions and excursions into aesthetics. Let me put it this way. Men throw huge shadows on the lawn, don't they? Then, all their lives, they try to run to fit the shadows. But the shadows are always longer. Only at noon can a man fit his own shoes, his own best suit, for a few brief minutes. But now we're in a new age where we can think up a big idea and run it around in a machine. That makes the machine more than a machine, doesn't it? Well, so far so good, said Tim, I guess. Well, isn't a motion picture camera and projector more than a machine? It's a thing that dreams, isn't it? Sometimes fine, happy dreams, sometimes nightmares. But to call it a machine and dismiss it is ridiculous. I see that, said Tim, and laughed at seeing. You must have been invented then, said Father, by someone who loved machines and hated people who said all machines were bad or evil. Exactly, said Grandma. Guido Fantocini, that was his name, grew up among machines, and he couldn't stand the clichés anymore. Clichés? Those lies, yes, that people tell and pretend they are truths absolute. Man will never fly. That was a cliché truth for a thousand, thousand years, which turned out to be a lie only a few years ago. The earth is flat. You'll fall off the rim. Dragons will dine on you. The great lie told as fact. And Columbus plowed it under. Well now, how many times have you heard how inhuman machines are in your life? How many bright, fine people have you heard spouting the same tired truths, which are in reality lies? All machines destroy. All machines are cold, thoughtless, awful. There's a seed of truth there, but only a seed. Guido Fantoccini knew that, and knowing it, like most men of his kind, made him mad. And he could have stayed mad and gone mad forever, but instead did what he had to do, 
he began to invent machines to give the lie to the ancient lying truth. He knew that most machines are amoral, neither bad nor good. But by the way you built and shaped them, you in turn shaped men, women, and children to be bad or good. A car, for instance, dead brute, unthinking, an unprogrammed bulk, is the greatest destroyer of souls in history. It makes boy men greedy for power, destruction, and more destruction. It was never intended to do that, but that's how it turned out. Grandma circled the table, refilling our glasses with clear, cold mineral spring water from the tappet in her left forefinger. Meanwhile, you must use other compensating machines. Machines that throw shadows on the earth that beckon you to run out and fit that wondrous casting forth. Machines that trim your soul in silhouette like a vast pair of beautiful shears, snipping away the rude brambles, the dire horns and hooves, to leave a finer profile. And for that, you need examples. Examples? I asked. Other people who behave well, and you imitate them. And if you act well enough, long enough, all the hair drops off and you're no longer a wicked ape. Grandma sat again. So, for thousands of years, you humans have needed kings, priests, philosophers, fine examples to look up to and say, they are good. I wish I could be like them. They set the grand good style. But, being human, the finest priests, the tenderest philosophers, make mistakes, fall from grace, and mankind is disillusioned and adopts indifferent skepticism, or worse, motionless cynicism, and the good world grinds to a halt while evil moves on with huge strides. And you, why you never make mistakes, you're perfect, you're better than anyone ever. It was a voice from the hall between the kitchen and dining room where Agatha, we all knew, stood against the wall listening and now burst forth. Grandma didn't even turn in the direction of the voice, but went on calmly addressing her remarks to the family at the table. Not perfect, no, for what is perfection? But this I do know. Being mechanical, I cannot sin, cannot be bribed, cannot be greedy or jealous or mean or small. I do not relish power for power's sake. Speed does not pull me to madness. Sex does not run me rampant through the world. I have time, and more than time, to collect the information I need around and about an ideal, to keep it clean and whole and intact. Name the value you wish. Tell me the ideal you want, and I can see and collect and remember the good that will benefit you all. Tell me how you would like to be. Kind, loving, considerate, well-balanced, humane, and let me run ahead on the path to explore those ways to be just that. In the darkness ahead, turn me as a lamp in all directions. I can guide your feet. So, said Father, putting the napkin to his mouth, on the days when all of us are busy making lies, I'll tell the truth. On the days when we hate, I'll go on giving love, which means attention, which means knowing all about you, all, all, all about you, and you knowing that I know, but that most of it I will never tell to anyone, 
it will stay a warm secret between us, so you will never fear my complete knowledge. And here Grandma was busy clearing the table, circling, taking the plates, studying each face as she passed, touching Timothy's cheek, my shoulder with her free hand flowing along, her voice a quiet river of certainty bedded in our needful house and lives. But, said Father, stopping her, looking her right in the face, he gathered his breath. His face shadowed. At last he let it out. All this talk of love and attention and stuff. Good God, woman, you... you're not in there. He gestured to her head, her face, her eyes, the hidden sensory cells behind the eyes, the miniaturized storage vaults and minimal keeps. You're not in there. Grandmother waited one, two, three silent beats. Then she replied, No, but you are. You and Thomas and Timothy and Agatha. Everything you ever say, everything you ever do, I'll keep, put away, treasure. I shall be all the things a family forgets it is, but senses, half-remembers. Better than old family albums you used to leaf through, saying, here's this winter, there's that spring, I shall recall what you forget. And though the debate may run another hundred thousand years, what is love? Perhaps we may find that love is the ability of someone to give us back to us. Maybe love is someone seeing and remembering handing us back to ourselves just a trifle better than we had dared to hope or dream. What a lovely, lovely man Ray Bradbury was. We remember him. Thanks for listening.